This is the story of the fall of man, of the power of seduction, of obscure objects of desire. We stand here at the midpoint of our season, and one thing has become abundantly clear. Time and time again, men find themselves all of a strange power they can only dream of taming. We're not talking about the femme fatale, we're talking about machines. Yes, crazy though it may seem, we've seen our femme fatales contrasted more than a few times with the allure of cars, of boats, of trains. We've seen mechanics, railmen, and sailors all thrown repeatedly into turmoil, torn between carnal desire and the grand freedoms of 20th century transport. It makes for quite the contrast, sins of the flesh competing with great mechanical gods. What's a poor sap to do? As we near the end of the golden age of film noir, we're confronting those questions head on. This time, we have a chauffeur and a railman, the latter drawing us back into a familiar narrative. Both men paired off with some formidable femmes, desperate to get what they want. Those femmes would be Gene Simmons and Gloria Graham, both delivering powerhouse performances that send the femme fatale off in different directions as we prepare to leap forward a bit in time. Will anyone get away with murder? Do Robert Mitchum and Glenn Ford stand a chance? And how will our femme fatales hold up against the rise of the machines? The 20th century is rolling along, and there's no getting off that train. What's your new book about? A detective. He falls for the wrong woman. What happens? She kills him. Suppose you get down off your motorcycle and give me a ticket. Suppose I let you off with a warning this time. Suppose it doesn't take. You're not too smart, are you? <laughs> I like that in a man. Hate is a very exciting emotion. I hate you so much that I think I'm going to die from it. What have we done to each other? What will we do? I'm not apologizing for what I did. I'm apologizing for what I didn't do. Silencio. Hello and welcome to Celluloid Dirt, where two friends get together to watch new and familiar noir films, then talk about them. I'm one of those friends, Fred Pelzer, joined by my friend, Tristan Johnson. And tonight is the end of an era, the classic noir era to be precise, and we're revisiting two fixtures of the genre to celebrate, Otto Preminger and Fritz Lang. Our films on deck tonight aren't aiming to be the definitive word on the genre, but they do feature two worthy femme fatale performances that highlight the diverging paths of the archetype. And of course, our blue-collar heroes are just along for the ride. Uh, just I have to say, your introduction made me think, should we be including Cronenberg's uh, crash in this uh, series as the ultimate <laughs> collision of oh my sex God. and machine, pun intended? I haven't even thought about Cronenberg, um, but... We'll discuss. Yes. Uh, amongst many other things. But first, let's kick things off with Otto Preminger's Angel Face from 1952. I tell you, it's no good. I'm not going to get involved. Involved in what? How stupid do you think I am? You hate that woman. Someday, somehow, you're going to hate her enough to kill her. Angel Face from 1952, directed by Otto Preminger, starring Robert Mitchum, Gene Simmons, Mona Freeman, and Herbert Marshall. Screenplay by Frank S. Nugent and Chester Erskine. The story by Oscar Millard. 
Uh, here, Mitchum plays Frank Jessup, an ambulance driver who, on a call one night, crosses paths with Gene Simmons' angel-faced heiress, Diane Tremaine. Diane and Frank seem on a crash course toward each other, despite Frank having a girlfriend already. Then Diane gets him a job as the family chauffeur, and there's no going back. No going back except for the family car shifting suspiciously into reverse and plummeting over a cliff, killing Diane's father and stepmother. That doesn't bode well for Frank at all, and Diane has taken care to ensure they are in this together. All right. Uh, um, I'll, I'll just start off by saying I really liked this one. Um, I don't know where you, you stood on it. Fred, but uh, this this might be my my surprise so far of the uh, uh, of of the season. Um, I don't know; it should be a surprise to me because I like Preminger and I like uh, I like Mitchum and I like Gene Simmons. But uh, but it, it I this this worked quite well for me overall. How about you? Uh, yeah, I don't think I liked it as much as you did, but I did like it quite a bit. The um, for uh, well, you know a. Anytime there's a courtroom scene, I'm always like, well, did we need uh, to do this courtroom scene? I mean, I think it's necessary for the it's, what it's doing, but this it's is still... a fairly abbreviated. We we've seen yes, far thankfully... longer courtroom scenes this this season alone. Uh, it, it moved fast. For me, the first two acts are pretty good, like a very solid power, but then that final act is like really good stuff. Um, and it certainly goes off on a bleak high note, just brutal. I mean, this is very much I, we had talked last week about how these feel like throwbacks in a lot of ways but that ending to me feels very much of a piece with the like we have nowhere left to go but doom feeling of a lot of the end of the noir cycle um in general in, in late noir i tend to reach for for kiss me deadly as uh as an example of like of like we're all in and right. and every and you know you're marching toward Towards something explosive, but but that's but certainly the case here. And there and and the last that final act is just you you know there is doom hanging over you. You know you know where it more or less is going to go. You know you can't avoid it, and uh, and and it makes for a pretty pretty compelling watch. I don't know that I uh, I don't know that I felt doom. I mean, you know, viewers spoilers uh, or listeners rather spoilers. Uh, but uh, just in case you have not watched um i mean go watch it but you know so we're not talking in circles here the it all builds to uh gene just putting the car in reverse and sit in her and uh good old uh mitchum right off the cliff yeah. uh just like she killed her father and stepmother i did not see that coming i mean i think not to say that it's oh, not oh, I, it's I, it's all coherent like i like i said i thought it worked great i just I was not watching that whole ending being like, oh boy, something bad's gonna happen. Oh, I see. I I was like the part so part of it, part of what I like about this, um, I like how I like how Mitchum is not um he's not totally passive. He's just ineffective at pushing back against it. Like over and over again, I, we we feel um we feel Gene Simmons, Diane get get her way kind of sway things as she and and it just never felt like like Mitchum was actually going to get a break like things were not going to work out for him and then when you see her spiraling late in it I, I don't know it just kind of sets you on a, sure. a dark path no no yeah I think that's that's fair but I think also to your point about Mitchum not being like passive 
I think what's really interesting to me about this movie is how it feels, uh, uh, as you said in the um, uh, at the top there, it does feel like, and we both mentioned the same movie, which was Single White Female, it feels like it's it sets the framework for a new kind of femme fatale where it's not about the man being seduced into committing criminal acts himself, right? The man makes, the man is seduced and then because of that sin, his life is destroyed. Yes. Um, <laughs> because, you know, these ladies, they don't have it together. Um, and so, you know, she, she like tries to get him involved in her murder plot, goes ahead with the murder anyway, which does feel very, um, remind me a lot of double indemnity in the way that's like, she couldn't just do it. She had, you know, there's, there's unintended consequences, but Mitchum's not actually a part of it. He tried to talk her out of it. And he's just like bound to her closer and closer. You know, that also reminded me of Gone Girl with the like, um, you, the, the harder you try yeah, to leave I me I or I leave you. This, this, this feels very forward thinking yes. for the, the genre in a, in, in a big way. And partly it's because it's coming late in the, the noir cycle, but I really do think like this is, I, I don't know, it's, it, it's a lot of different factors here. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something both of these that connects both of these is with their endings and the way that they approach their femme fatales and um, empower them um, to do bad things. But um, but yeah, no, like I was just saying, I, I think it, this really sets the the framework of like the femme fatale as um, as parasite, as as invasive foreign body that all, all she's just looking for some guy who's thinking dick first. And then she's going to latch on and destroy his life. So guys, be careful. Like that to me is way more the vibe of this movie than like Double Indemnity or Postman Always Rings Twice, which is more just about like passion and greed being a corrupting force and like aspiring for more in your life. But, you know, as as we talked about, usually with these, because from the man's point of view, the and the guy's somewhat sympathetic in the situation usually it's a single guy meets a woman who's in a relationship and because of that relationship it's illicit for them to to be to start this affair and also because of that relationship the other man has to go so that they they are free to pursue their passion um and this is the start of like no 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 our lead is seeing another lady uh and they have sort of a you know they're, they're not putting labels on it but it's still mitchum's sin to to step out with yeah. uh, with Gene and then have all these consequences fall on his head. Uh, yeah, well, I guess well, we'll get to we'll get to Gene in a moment, but let's um, let's talk about Mitchum because he's he's uh, he's certainly one of those those icons of the genre, uh, and and the film is and the and the film, is, uh, and the, and the film um, places him as the protagonist, and then. I, you know, control of the film just kind of gets ceded entirely to to Diane as as we move forward. But like this, this starts off with our humble, uh, our blue collar ambulance driver, uh, Mitchum, with his typical sleepy hangdog kind of charm. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, he, it's is always the word that comes to mind for me. Ah, yeah. No, that's uh, that's spot on. He, uh, he, he's he's handsome. But he's also he's got that world weariness that 
Yeah, he's also like 40. How old is he in this movie? Yeah. Oh, he's such a an imposing presence. Unlike unlike Bogart, who who is he's so only 35, slight. but still. Oh. <laughs> I mean, still like every time they're like these kids, I'm like that is the body of a man who's seen some life. Like that is he's he's full on dad bod in this in those big oh. boxy suits, and then they're like. <laughs> I'm like, how old are you want me to believe this guy is? Like, is he supposed to be like 28? Because he's not 28. Oh my God. No, no, he is most definitely. I, I, much like Bogart, it's like Mitchum's one of those people you can't believe is ever was ever young. Yes. Um, he's not a fool. He he makes mistakes, um, but he does he does have a wariness throughout about Diane. He's he's aware that this is trouble and he tries. Um, and he tries to <laughs> dig himself out of it, and and he ultimately is not able to. But it does make you root for him. Uh, yes, like with um, Framed from our Patsy episode. Like one of the things I enjoyed about that so much was that Glenn Ford's character was wise to what was going on, and the same thing here. And I also like that his girlfriend figures figures it out too, right? Like yep. Jean yeah, starts to try to pull I the like same it. shit on her, and Mona's Mona Freeman uh, playing Mary the. The girlfriend, which could be could have been a thankless role in a, in a not as well written piece, instead gets to kind of go toe to toe with with this uh, complete sociopath. Yeah, um, no, I liked her her whole character and uh, and how that was handled quite a bit. Uh, and and yeah, him being um, her turning him down in the end, and what it, it's it's such a it's such a pathetic scene too. Uh, it, at the end when he tries to win her back and 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 you know how that's going to go you there's no reason to suspect that that's going to that his fortunes are going to turn around there um nor do they nor do they deserve to um mm. he i mean you yeah you no it, it was hand, yeah. for him but you understand why he's not going to get it yeah although i again i, I was not I, you were keyed into this a little bit more than i was uh, I, I was not it did not feel like a given for me, but, uh, I think, but uh, yeah, it still worked. I think it's because I felt like I, not, now. I guess we'll get to the 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 um, death pact at the end, but the it, we we feel throughout this, it just feels like Diane keeps getting her way, mm. and the and the and the biggest frustration to that is weirdly. Like at the end, when she tries to confess, and her attorney is just like brushes her off. And... Well, but even before that, like even around the mid, a little after the midpoint, after the murder happens, she starts to be like, you know, it's with the murder, right? Because she also gets punished for that because her dad dies, which yeah. just breaks her. And then you know she tries to confess, and her that's the first time the lawyer says no, 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 no. Yeah. Um, she tries to convince Mitchum, like, this isn't a plot to get you involved. I was just trying to kill my stepmom, full stop. And Mitchum doesn't believe her. Like, you know, she is, I think the difference between this and the eventual, um, you know, blank from hell, starting with Fatal Attraction, is that with those 80s movies, the you are not supposed to, at any point, really find the invasive monster sympathetic right like it's no and this takes great care to make her to no make we spent a lot of time with her and like there's uh, that long stretch the final act where you're where you're with her as she is waiting and just like wandering around this empty house and I, I... dealing with the consequences of her actions and you i had that i had a moment of like yes i too have done something and then realized i made a mistake and felt really bad about it but that something was not 
kill my stepmother and by, by accident and by extension like my father uh so I, my sympathy only goes so far right right but um, you, it still puts you in that that emotional frame uh, framework absolutely uh yeah and 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 it does um it lends it lends a very different kind of of complexity to our to our femme fatale where where i i feel like most of our most of our true femme fatale examples have have either fallen as we'll see in the next the the next film um in the the woman who's just in a bad situation all around um and and has bad options available to her um or or the the Felix Dietrich, Phyllis Dietrichson type the Stanley Black Widow yeah the, yeah they they tend to skew one way or another so it's really interesting to get that woman who is in control um and and you see pulling the strings but then is all of a sudden given that that added dimension that is unexpected absolutely no and this was um you know going back to some of our melodrama conversations this season this to me felt like the opposite of clash by night in that it's like it is invested enough in the in, in the characters in their internal lives that there's like a hint of of melodrama of interpersonal drama but it's still more obviously way more on the plot side but it's still like to me this was like 60 40 plot to or 70 30 plot to character whereas clash by night was like 70 to 30 character to plot um which i think again really helps to make it stand out and as as we get to the end here of of the classic noir era you know give us something new with with our like i said with our femme fatale uh and uh, and and Gene Simmons, uh, we we had we had, we had a very or Yush I should say Fred had a very very good pairing for me uh, of of these two because between Gene Simmons and Gloria Graham those are two of the the classic Hollywood actresses that I I uh, always find myself most in the corner of and and always want like they're not they're not Stanwyck or Monroe uh or or Rita Hayworth level like a a list star but they're 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 at that like like not quite that ubiquity and I really like both of them and I feel like with Gene Simmons in particular I've always been like I I've got to find like that role that is mm. that, that she is just great in and this this is that role this is a great showcase for her absolutely um, um, it just uses her and, and it's right there in the title just uses her so well and uh and the and like uh, obviously, you know, uh, taking taking the angel face concept and like showing how sometimes that can get her exactly what she wants, or then you know when she's when she's dismissed, <laughs> when she won't be believed because of the murder, because <laughs> again how she how she looks, um, it comes in and full circle and and bites her. Um, I actually have a question for you, Pat. So kind of in the same vein. Uh, because I wasn't sure. So in the first half of the movie, when she is kind of putting together her plan to kill her stepmother, right? We, when we first meet her, she just made an attempt and has not gone well. But the movie, I feel like, is playing just coy enough that I wasn't sure if it wanted us to be like, maybe she's telling the truth. Maybe her stepmom is a monster. Maybe we shouldn't be. You know what I mean? Like, I, I what did you... I, I think it was aiming for that ambiguity. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, I... I don't I don't think it would I mean I think we're I think we're meant to strongly suspect but I think that that there's there's meant to be a little room for doubt in there yeah I mean I think I, I think I got that the movie wanted me to feel that but I was not feeling that and and part of it has been like you know 
we're talking about this in the season of Femme Fatale, even though neither of us has seen this before. Like it's a noir, you know, there's there's enough extra textual to be like, she's probably trying to kill somebody. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think that's part of what just kind of held me back from really loving this movie was that I was like, I this isn't, the the doubt that you're trying to sow is not getting sowed for me. Uh, um, so. No, and I, 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 I definitely agree that like why, as this kind of hits the midpoint, it it really it really starts to move, and like there's something about uh, that that crash that the the um, murder of of her stepmother and father that's just such a abrupt punctuation yes. of violence, and it really is jarring and kind of and shakes you to life because the movie's been taking its time right. setting the the table before that. No, the, and these then, are both car ooh. crashes are visceral in a, in in a way that even in a a season exploring a violent genre it felt yeah felt like a lot uh no, it's, it's like you said it's, it's it's been paced down so much and it's been so concerned with the characters and the drama and the chemistry and all that that you're you're just not expecting it you know you, you think like she did something to the car she cut the, the brakes or whatever and they're gonna go driving off and then they'll cut fade to black and then you'll hear a car crash and you know like like we would have five years ago but instead it's like no we're gonna run a car off the road and we're gonna film it and then and yeah. it's like there's there's dummies in there that are shaking around that look like real enough to have that moment of like oh god um yeah it's it's brutal i um i really like on on the on the man and machine front i really like the the thought that you know even even though it's even though Mitchum is the driver um he that even though he's the one that is the he handles the machines it's ultimately Diane who who sabotages the car and and that like she's the one that that takes control of it ultimately in in both both the murder and in their death at the end that that she's the one driving yeah i mean it really like you said it, it starts off mitchum's story um but it does quickly become her story um and she is it it in a season of great femme fatale she definitely stands out um, a, a, oh. a note that i i saw that um that sometime in the 60s uh jean-luc godard ranked his his 10 favorite american sound films and he put this on the list no kidding yeah. I, I believe that it, it um, no, it's great. Also, I want to shout out the uh, a really great sporting cast. Um, Herbert Marshall as the dad. I think my favorite thing that I've seen him in is is Little Foxes, but he's quite good uh, here. Yeah. Um, right, do you, uh, as a as a, a writer and as a dad, do you want a, a daughter that will will try and protect your writing time? <laughs> I mean, I appreciate time? the effort. I will say that uh, maybe not that far. That's maybe a little too much. But um, also, want to shout out uh, Leon Ames as the uh, attorney in the back half. Uh, probably best known for while watching this, I was like, "Oh my god, what did I just see him in?" It was Meet Me in St. Louis, of course, where he was the dad. Um, but I was getting confused because, like, I know I've just seen him in something, but also I know I've seen him as an attorney, which of course is also the postman always rings twice, where he's the prosecuting attorney. But no, it was it was very good. I, I like I said, I don't I didn't love it as much as you did, but it it was very good and of the films that i had not seen before that are i think it's under underappreciated i think it is considered it seems to be pretty off off the beaten path for a noir but 
worth worth yeah. tracking down and watching. And I I'm, I don't know if that's because Preminger, um, Preminger's films go uh, like everyone talks about Laura, everyone talks about Anatomy of a Murder, uh, and 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 the others fall a little bit behind that pack. But and I and I, I adore Laura, but uh, but but I really dug this. All right, well let's uh, let's bring in our second film of the night. That would be 1954's Human Desire. It isn't love, it's human desire. All night, every night I think of you, and all day. I know it's wrong, but I pray and pray for him to die. Human Desire from 1954, directed by Fritz Lang. This stars Glenn Ford and Gloria Graham uh, and Broderick Crawford. Written by Alfred Hayes, uh, who did Flash by Night. Um, uh, it's based on Neil Zola's novel, La Bête Humaine. And where have we seen that before? <laughs> few episodes back uh, or a number of episodes back at this time but uh, i legitimately forgot that it was based off of the same source material and we had talked about it in that episode and um i started watching it and i was like there's a lot of train stuff in here first of all, must have really enjoyed la bête humaine and then i was like oh right this is the same story yes. um but generally genuinely for the first five minutes i was like wow this is very similar it takes a little different route, but uh, but but beats are the beats are all there. Uh, we've got Glenn Ford here playing Jeff, a Korean War veteran, returning home, resuming his job, driving passenger trains. Uh, meanwhile, there's hard drinking Carl, played by Broderick Crawford, uh, another employee of the railroad. Uh, he gets himself fired and pressures his much younger wife, Vicky, uh, played by Gloria Graham, to call on an old acquaintance and help him get his job back. She does, but in the process arouses his suspicions that she's been unfaithful. He demands a confession, then immediately begins plotting the death of this man, all while on board a train, Chicago, a train that Jeff happens to be on as well. Murder unfolds. Desperate Vicky will be looking for whatever limited options are available to her, options which will find her and Jeff growing closer and closer, all while the threat of her violent husband looms larger and larger. Uh, so yes, not our first adaptation of La Bette Humaine, uh, but this one really, uh, shifts that focus considerably, uh, whereas in La Bette Humaine we had, uh, we, um, we had Jean Gabin, um, uh, really taking, taking front and center here, um, even though this initially jumps in with, with Jeff's perspective with Glenn Ford, um, it's, it's Gloria Graham who, um, who really gets to do some good work here. Agreed. Yeah, she, uh, she, yeah, she gets the arc. She gets the journey. Um, it is of course a tragedy because what one with agency can possibly be allowed to live? But uh, yes. But no. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a great showcase for her. So between um, Lang and Glenn Ford and Gloria Graham, we have uh, a reteaming of what is my favorite noir ever, uh, The Big Heat. Oh yes, um, um, and and this is nowhere near to to be clear. This is nowhere near as good as the Big Heat. Um, uh, but but I'm I'm always happy to to see some of 
some of my favorite noir players all all back together. Um, mm -hmm. Graham Graham is uh, is for me one of the one of the defining femme fatales of the genre. I love her in Big Heat. I love her in In a Lonely Place. Um, and and she's pretty great here too. You'd seen this before. Yes, I had seen this before. Um, I had not. But no, she's very good. Yeah, they're all they're all like seasoned pros of the of the of the genre and of the B movie. So Ford's great, Crawford, who we both um saw last year during the um Noir City marathon. You saw him in All the King's Men and I saw him in uh, Scandal Sheet. Yeah, all, all the King's Men's are is uh is, is like Crawford's big role and and he does he he's got an imposing presence he uh he i think he's well cast here as mm -hmm. uh as 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 the domineering um drunk and uh and, and it, he does have a certain inescapability about him he, no i yeah i it, it all feels well lived in um uh I, I like I I think one of the reasons I like Glenn Ford so much is is that he's he feels like and he's no he's no Bogart uh, of course uh, who is but but he's he's very generous as a as a performer like he he can be upstaged and he's so comfortable in that and and he doesn't need to take all the all the air out of a movie himself uh, so so for. For movies where the supporting cast and Big Heat's so great at the at, with its supporting cast too, but like he uh, and uh, just uh, I like his I like his presence. He does he doesn't take away all of the attention from the rest of the cast and 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 really like here let's let's Graham take center stage and shine. Yeah, it's it is very interesting that the the changes from the previous version, which presumably is a little bit closer. Now, obviously, they got rid of the like. Poison blood. I'm a socio psychopath because my father yes. was an alcoholic. That I don't I, miss. I I liked I liked La Bat Human a bit more than this. Um, yeah, I liked La Bat Human a bit more than this too. I, but I think that change was good. <laughs> I I I sure fine. I don't know. I kind of I I, I don't mind that that heightened poeticism of that uh, in the in the context of it's not even the heightened poeticism. It's the fact that like at the end. It then is, he just kills it is her like a, because it's it is like a light switch that turns on and off for right him. they're just and, they, I, they drop for large portions of the story and they're like all right we gotta make this tragedy so um that's I, like i think this ending is is better also um for glory graham's character i think it's a more interesting ending for glory graham's character but also it was interesting that they added the um you know the sweetheart to give the like the good life the option of Nuclear yeah, that, family. You know that that's that that this is this is a a a post-war noir through and through. In this case, post-Korean War, but it's very much that's a interesting. Subtle, um, There's not a lot of those. Yeah, yeah we're we're now uh, with this being 1954. We're now we're now in the wake that the Korean War has ended, and uh, and and that again, there's like a this renewed cycle um, not that not that uh veterans have been far from noir's mind at all uh that that's certainly been omnipresent but um but that's going to continue fueling this like late era of, of noir but it's uh, even, it's 
I mean, are there that many? I, 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 they're not that many that come to mind. Um, and I feel like part of it is just it. Korean War kind of lines up with the end of the noir period, right? Like it's just there's just not that many noir movies released late fifties, early sixties, and then by the time it starts back up again, it's the Vietnam War era, and that kind of fuels a lot of the neo noir revital revitalization. Yeah, and I don't have any uh, any that are immediately coming coming to mind as as specifically Korean War examples. But seeing uh, seeing your the protagonist being a a veteran is is almost a given uh, in in a lot of movies at this sure. this time that it's just it's just very common and uh, and with good reason and and hence the focus on uh, uh, that that like settling of a family and that this like having that door open for uh, for um, Jeff as uh, as the movie ends and like get like a uh, possibility of a of of a real future for him it left open. Yeah, I mean that's the other thing that bugs me. Like, I, again, like I said, I think Graham's ending is more interesting for that character. But what the movie as a whole is saying, it makes it very conservative. And it's like she traded on her womanly wiles to help her husband out, and really this is all her fault because now she's going to jail for murder. And good boy Glenn Ford finally cleared his head up and shook off that bad lady and he's going to be with the good girl and he gets to have a happy life the end i i liked i liked it more in la batman when um when jean gaban was just a uh, a guy that really liked trains <laughs> <laughs> i mean i i would be too if if you know the way the way that trains are shot in uh the yes and that's a huge difference in the in the shooting style and again I, and i don't mean i don't mean to knock Fritz Lang, who is who is pretty high on my favorite directors list, but he isn't. He his uh, at this stage in his career, he's not. He's he's not a visualist. He's no. he's he's not concerned with he's that. Very um, yeah, um, and and clearly sometimes uh, that works like gangbusters, like with the big heat. Um, but but it's hard here, I think, because we have we have this comparison where we we've seen this and we've seen it with with um with us rooting it so firmly we're, we're firmly we're firmly on a tr on a train for a lot of this movie and we're and we're and we're certainly immersed in that railroad culture but not anywhere near the degree no, that yeah. you feel it in in renoirs well i think part of this is the pacing of this because the, the pacing here feels faster like it's not consistently so but it does it's a little bit more plot focused it's a little more like all right we gotta we gotta get to her husband committing a murder so that then we can get to the uh to, to the, to the, the fatale killer, of it all yes, like the, yeah. the sex and violence part it, it feels like there's you know there's more there's more steps to get and and again we're already familiar with the beats so we know where things are 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 headed uh, but you you watch this before so what do you recall i don't know how long ago you watched it the first time but uh it's been a few years um i mean i remember liking it i think i liked it a little bit less this time probably in part because in comparison Lebehiman is I, I found more enjoyable and just a, a richer text um and it is a very functional movie right like it's just sort of keyed in on it but it also kind of reminds me of um the different versions of 
of uh, the postman ordering twice that we've we've looked at. Where I almost wrote that down here. Is this has got a the we've we've been seeing different different spins on texts, and and I and I like that so much. It's it's fun to dissect them like that. Yeah, and I think just like with those here, you know, the earlier European ones are more interested in interiority and character, and are not as interested in plot and. With this, we've got something that's more about like plot sells story or sells movies. Um, so like, let's juice it up a little bit, um, which I think is what makes it feel just a little bumpy because it is kind of having to squeeze and stretch the framework of the original to be able to hit the beats at certain points and and, and meet the demands of, of noir where it is pulp and it is about the plot more I, I i like thinking about it in those terms like how you're you know you can only you, there, there's infinite ways you can reshape a text but there's only so much you can fundamentally do without just totally taking it apart and putting it back together again um uh, and yeah. uh and and some things will come across better uh, like the, this is that this is for uh, for a study in the femme fatale, I think this is the, the this is the more apt entry because Graham really gets to to shine here. But uh, but Labat Yuman is, is is certainly from um, from a from an artistic standpoint, but from uh, from a uh, hero's journey perspective, it's uh, I guess the the more interesting one. But I did we got to talk about Graham because because she is the she is what makes this work. Are you a Graham fan? Uh, I am. I'm not like it to the extent that you are, but I've always, I think I always like when she pops up. Um, but uh, you know, she's another actress that that Holly did not treat great and has oh. a bit of a, a sad life story. And and you watch something like this, and you're like, oh man, I really wish she she got better breaks. I was trying to put my finger on why she works so particularly well for me, um, and. And the best I can do, because you know, some of it's all, uh, it's 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 just inexplicable. You just find yourself drawn to certain performers, and and she's always been one um, for me. But I I really think that in watching this, as a femme fatale, she's very good about um, about as a within the character putting on a performance to try and get what she wants, and not in a really broad way, like like Stanwyck in Double Indemnity, who will perpetually be that example that you know she's she's the the femme fatale sure but but like hers is very is very calculating but i think that that graham always brings a lot more subtlety and it's someone who's who's legitimately assessed her situation and has determined that these are these are my best possible outcomes or this is the best this is what i have to do and and she's going to try and make it work and and it's not over the top it's just enough. And I, I really like the nuance she brings to that. What well, helps that we go on the journey with her, right? Like a lot of times when we meet the femme fatale, she's already decided on her course of action. And it's just this, the main cool. character is the first step to fill out. Or it's a very quick decision, like in Scarlet Street, where they're like, well, this idiot's in her right here. Let's use them. But she, she we we go on that journey with her and we see she, how she keeps getting cornered more and more in a bad situation like you said until and and we buy that she genuinely likes glenn ford right like that's the thing is that she seems to both 
be glad to be around him and like genuinely enjoy his company and simultaneously sees him as a potential way to get out of this bad situation if she can just play her cards right. And that's her tragedy is that she she doesn't play her cards right. And she tries, if she had just been more upfront in a lot of different ways, she wouldn't be in the situation. But instead, here we are and, you know, things end, end poorly. Not as poorly as they might have, but... No, but but uh, but that she she it does make for such a uh, a good tragic noir figure in that in that sense and that you and and again same with the big heat it's just someone uh, a, a lot of the same I, I think a lot a lot of the same energy goes into the the performances between both of those films and uh, and 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 she she does get more than a lot of a lot of femme fatale she does get that room to to bring in nuance we do follow her for enough time like you said and i i that that um makes her one of the more compelling femme fatale actresses out there just because she's she's given a little bit more to work with in in some of these great movies yeah i mean i think that's one of the interesting connections between this and angel face and with and how that treats gene simmons is that we start off from a male's point of view but then it like i said it's much more balanced between them it treats them as co-leads where each has their own like storyline and, and point of view that and they they switch back and forth um and i think also that they both have a, another big differentiator for these two films for me and, and again how it sort of marks the end of the era and the transition to a new one is that they give these femme fatales a lot more direct agency like both femme fatales here actually commit murder right in the bulk of the movies we've watched the femme fatale has needed the man to complete her plan and she has used her womanly wiles to get him into position to do the things that she wants him to do um you know, I mean, and, that, and that's not like 100% true. You know, I'm thinking of like Framed, which is, she does commit murder there. But that to me feels very different than this, where it is like with Gene Simmons in the middle at the midpoint and then with Gordon Graham at the end, they are the ones who are committing the key criminal act. And because even in Framed, she still has the um, her banker boyfriend, right, that, to start the process off. Uh, she still needs accomplices in order to commit the criminal act that she is trying to um, be involved with. Whereas ultimately, both of these female, both these femme fatales, don't, and they are they are able to well, to kill on their own. And 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 likewise, we just we see uh, we see in both of these uh, a a real pulling back of uh, of. Of what it's expecting out of it, out of the the male protagonist, and um, and and I think there's even in, uh, of course, in like the the kind of marquee noirs with Bogart and all, but even in even in the the throwaway B noirs of the the 40s, there's there's this this uh, like sh drive to force that male protagonist into it to be everything about the film and everything else becomes secondary to him, and and. And we've seen that ease up a little bit over the course of the classic era. It's not all, it's not all monotonous. I do feel like we're like with these two, we've really arrived at a, a time where it's willing to cede more of the narrative over to, to the, the femme fatale herself.
Yeah, I know. I, I, I agree. And I think, um, again, I think it feels like the marker of the end of, of this classic era. And we're kind of going to step away from Hollywood mostly for the next 15, 20 years or so. And then by the time we come back, they'll kind of have to reassess. Hollywood will need to have reassessed its relationship to the femme fatale in the light of a series of societal changes that that happen in, in the meantime that really affects how we think about uh, the power that a, a female character can wield. Um, and I, I think it's going to make for a very interesting viewing once once we do get back there. Yeah, I'm I'm excited, and we we kind of we we'll, we'll get to what lies ahead. But I'm excited where uh, I'm excited where this is going to go because it it does feel like we're. I wouldn't consider either of these films to be any like any definitive word on the genre, but they they do seem to be uh, indicating uh, where things can go. In the case of in the case of Gloria Graham, I I'm when I when I think about more recent noirs, neo noirs, uh, I don't think of as many characters that fit her particular mold. Mm. Uh, the the, the the that woman in a um in, with with only bad options available to her it feels like that's gone uh, that goes a little bit uh, aside but maybe i'm not thinking of the right the right examples too i feel like i feel like gene simmons um is more uh, like that's the direction that a lot that we start seeing more and more of a lot of our our femme fatales yeah just embracing the sociopathic black black widow and they you know, whatever to whatever degree she's tempered here in Angel Face and and given regret, and you know she has that big speech about how she wasn't until her stepmother died that she realized that her stepmother loved her father too, and uh, you know st starts to unpack the um, uh, what's that electric complex uh, that seems to be going on there. What's to come is that character without regret, and she is just like. I, I have no morals. I have no compunctions. I will do what I must. And I will, you know, use use sex and murder to achieve what I want to achieve. One thing I didn't flag on here, but I but is occurring to me now too, um, is as, as we're as we're moving, as we're looking back and moving ahead, like how how the how the femme fatale fits into um one of the defining vibes of the genre which is which is pulpiness and uh and 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 i think that as we uh as we look it doesn't square as much with like your 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 melodramas right it feels like melodramas are inherently not uh when we're looking at something like mildred pierce uh, or or like Clash by Night, like the these feel like they're not as they're not at, on the pulpier side, even though like Mildred Pierce infuses some of that in there, but it's like that's largely tacked on and it works. Uh, but uh, but how how from what we've seen so far does do, does the femme fatale side of noir fit in with that pulp factor, and uh, and what do we what do we make of that for what lies ahead? I think it's a little more elastic, um, you know, I think because yeah, I think the detective sort of carries more of a direct and stringent plot component to it, right? Where it's like the detective's there so he's going to investigate a crime and he's going to start putting the pieces together and like 
you, you know, we, we saw this sort of same basic fundamentals largely play out again and again and again during the detective season. Um, so not only was the character evolving, but the type, the, the spin on that specific situation was evolving, but it was still the same situation. And not that the femme fatale doesn't also generally come with a, you know, a circum given circumstances, it, I think it is more elastic um, and how the plot is able to bring the femme fatale in and what the crime is and what the arrangement of players is and, and the love triangle. And so I think because of that and because it is so focused on, uh, you know, a prominent female character, there is more room for that to, to leaven the pulpiness with more character work. Um, and I think these last two entries on the on the American, like true American noir strand are probably the ones that have balanced it the most between those those two instincts. Um, you know, like our Mildred Pearson and um uh and uh Leave to Heaven was maybe a little bit more um and some of the other ones are a little bit a little bit pulpier, especially the ones where it is more where we still have that male protagonist coming in. Um that's probably a little, a little bit back on the pulpier side because it's it's it just it is driven by that energy, I guess. Um, not that women can't be in a pulpy, but no, of the time, well, we, the way the gender stereotypes are being treated, you know, it, that was kind of how it was. And we know as we're looking ahead that the, the erotic thriller is going to leave a lot of room for that pulp factor to, to yes. uh, I mean, you know, fatal attraction being a literal, a literal pot boiler. Um, there's, there, there's things that, uh, um, there, there's things ahead that like lend itself to that, like, those cheap lurid thrills that yeah. we we know are are coming uh, yeah but i think it also is still but there's also still a chance to like find that balance right i mean we're we're planning on looking at um um decision to leave and that to me is very much in this tradition of balancing the pulp with the melodrama and as much oh, about yeah. the character interiority and the relationships as it is about the plot and the mechanics of who knows what when and who's being seduced to do what yeah, ab absolutely. Um, and it's been, uh, it, it's not that, it's not that that pulp factor is, um, is a, is a vital component of noir. There's room, there's room for it to be cranked up, uh, to, to 11 or to be, to be kept at a nice simmer. There's various levels. There, there always needs to be some I feel like it needs to be some degree of that intrigue in there, but but there's a vast range that that can fall within, and there yeah. can be there there can be polished noir or or like a prestige noir, if you if if you will. I think like something like Gilda feels feels um, uh, much more much more polished in its approach, and it's or Libra Heaven or Niagara, right, right. Um, they're not all going to be cranked up. All yeah, time. although I think that phrasing for me also took something else in a place where it's sort of like the, you know, the femme fatale also really, uh, the baggage that it brings with it, it kind of positions you where there's just going to be the one crime, right? Like there's the crime usually involving murder that the man has been led into by the femme fatale. And then the rest of the movie is about consequences of those actions. Whereas, you know, the detective story, there was the crime before the story, before the movie began, the detective begins investigating, and then there's all new dangers that are very external that are being thrown at him. Um, 
And so I think that also just leaves you more room to crank it up, right? That you can reach uh, kiss me deadly levels of just like <laughs> insanity when it comes to your 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 thrills and danger. Um, whereas with the femme fatale, it's like you've got that murder and you've got the twists and turns and the plottiness that can happen if they're really like starting to double cross each other. And I think like double indemnity is like peak pulpy, plotty, um, femme fatale. I mean, not, not like pulpy in this, in the sense of, um, of kiss me deadly of like being like, no, oh, no boys, but, 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 but the, really embracing the opportunity for twists and turns like that, I think is really doing a great job of that, of having plot but it's still pretty grounded. Like there's still the one crime and then it's them being like, who's going to betray the other one first for the rest D of the Double movie. indemnity is almost an, an outlier though to me in the, in the sense that it gets its juice from having such a damn good screenplay mm. uh, in, a, in a level that most of these films don't hit on. They have to rely on getting their thrills from somewhere else. But, but double Usually indemnity- their female star is, power. Right. The, oh, um, double- I would say there are more, there's more noir that have, that have a grade female star power. Maybe not, maybe not Stanwyck and Double Indemnity level, but there's more that have that quality than have a script that is working as efficiently as, as that Double Indemnity script is. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, it's, I mean, but Double Indemnity is also just like, everybody is bringing their A game. It, it right. is, it, it's, it is on that, in that sense, almost, um, you know, the uh, Pepitale, Noir, N plus one, Nailtra. Yeah. Um, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's certainly, uh, it, it feels like the one, uh, you, even though if you, if, if you asked me, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, if you asked me my favorite Femme Fatale of the, of, of the season, and favorite movie of this season so far is Gilda, uh, with with no contest for me. I think as a movie, Double Indemnity again is just is the like platonic ideal. It is the Ash and Alien saying, "It is the perfect killing machine." You know, <laughs> like it is. It is just a, a a flawless diamond that is doing the thing precisely and precisely well, but. Uh, on a pure enjoyment and sensation level, yeah, Gilda. For this, I think we both, and uh, not even that I didn't. I, I thought it was great the first, the last time I watched it, but um, revisiting it, I think for both of us this season, we both really fell in love with it and fell under a spell. It's one of those reasons why you rewatch movies sometimes, because because sometimes you've changed. Or, uh, or, or you're just, you've grown and you're ready for something in a different level. And I don't know what it was, but Gilda worked for me in such a big way. Yes. It, revisiting it. Um, so yeah, I mean, just in terms of, and like, and definitely since I first watched it, my appreciation of, of Rita Hayworth has, has grown a lot too. And so I'm sure that played into it also, but, um, but yeah, that one, that's actually probably the pulpiest that we've gotten. It had Nazis, it's got, um, <laughs> death fake outs it's got you know but it, it's light <laughs> psychosexual on, it's light games on, it's light it's got it's oh 
ripe with psychosexual games, but it's light on the actual violence. It's the, 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 the threat is there, but compared to a lot of these others, it's, it's one of the, the least violent. Uh, it is the least violent, but it, it has, I don't know, it has that like fervid intensity mm-hmm. that I also think of when I think of Kiss Me Deadly or Touch of Evil, where it is this like, we are firmly leaving reality um, and everything is just so heightened but it's still emotionally true what's happening, even if it's completely unrealistic. And and much like Dublin Dominey also gets this, you having a having a powerhouse trio mm. in your in your movie, you you can you can get and and you know playing with what that dynamic looks like. But but when you have three different characters that are all inflicting some amount of anguish on each other, uh, <laughs> there's there's a lot of fun to be had in that dynamic. Are there highlights? Anything? Anything else? As we're as we're. I was thinking back in the season. Well, there was actually one other thing I just wanted to touch on with these yeah. two. I mean, this is also related to the whole season, but I was thinking like, wow, we've watched a lot of courtroom scenes, um, and I think it's because again that it is, and as we, as we were talking about the rest of the femme fatale and and plot and all that, I think a lot of it is because it it is so much about there is one central crime, and then the rest of the movie is about consequences for that crime. And so frequently that then leads to the court scene. Um, and but so it's just sort of an interesting... This goes all the way back to Pandora's Box. Pandora's uh, Box. I mean, a lot um, of those European films that we were watching, you know, uh, the original version of uh, Scarlet Street has that and much more so than the, the remake does. Leave so, to Heaven has, uh, has Vincent heaven Price has going, going yeah. all in. Um, uh, we have the Sham courtroom scene in uh in lady from shanghai yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a total circus i mean we'll say um, i was which, watching um human desire at this time i was like well it's no lady from shanghai trial scene that's that and 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 for all for all of its messiness um like like even i think back on that i'm like thank thank goodness uh thank goodness lady from shanghai decided made that decision with the courtroom scene and just like let it go nuts um i don't hate courtroom scenes quite as as much as you and now yeah, i'm realizing how they're i'm realizing how them, much but... anatomy of a fall must have been torture for you for a I mean, while i don't know let me tell you the french documentary filmmakers making the transition to narrative film and doing it about french courtroom dramas does not do it for me anatomy of a fall could not get on board and um saint omer could not get on board both of them, I respect the filmmaking on display. The fundamentals of that that format does not work for me. And I, yeah, in general, trial scenes, I think you got to like, I don't know. Sometimes I enjoy it. I enjoy the verdict. I enjoy Twelve Angry Men, but it does it does need to work a little bit harder for me to to like enjoy it. That's fair, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fight you too too hard on that because I don't want to say I have any among my my all time favorites anyway. Um, but yeah, just I, I don't know. Think back on the season. Anything, I, I'm just I'm just really excited to I, more so than with the detective, the end of the classic noir period, and how that intersects with femme, with the femme fatale really feels also like getting ready for the next wave of feminism. And I'm really curious to see what happens when we pick the strain back up with mainstream filmmaking in about 15 to 20 years. Like we said earlier, like I said earlier, I, I think it's gonna be a really interesting comparison and dichotomy between the two modes more so than when we picked the detective back up in the neo-noir period yeah agreed i i i can't wait for what we we've got ahead in that and and as and as we're looking back in the two 
um, aside from uh, aside from the Titanic performances from from Rita Hayworth and and Barbara Stanwyck, uh, uh, I. I, I feel like I'm going to keep reaching back for Gene Simmons in Angel Face and uh, and for uh, and for Gene Tierney in uh, Lever to Heaven as as the two I'm gonna like keep um, keep coming back to the two performances that I, I just find compelling and and yeah that Lever to Heaven performance is, is something special yeah uh, also, but, uh, Marilyn but, Monroe and Niagara, like that was, you know, I, I, it, it, it's not the best, but it was a lot of fun, and it really made me wish that she'd gotten to do more noir films. No, and that's that that serves a great purpose too, as like a, a, a showcasing star power in a in a in a big way and in a a, a different light. I, yeah, I mean, we talked about yeah, it at, at, at the start of the season that, especially in the classic era, you know, the two places were a an actress could really get a showcase was a melodrama or a noir if she was where she was allowed to like really play the bad guy and get something to sink her teeth into and uh and we got i mean we we started off with uh with uh with dietrich really like she she has an entire career spawn uh right from blue angel and uh and like you can there was room for there there was room for a an actress to really leave a big mark, and it starts uh, like the nature of those kind of roles do feel like they're they're changing and kind of with this era of noir ending cup comes to a close as as what is getting showcased changes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Who's yeah, our, our biggest star of, of the? The '60s, it's it's Hepburn, right? Or Audrey Hepburn. Um, oh yes, <laughs> I mean uh, Catherine Hepburn. I was like, no. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> it's a, it, but those are very different kinds of roles uh, yes. that that are getting showcased for sure. No, yeah, I, I'm really really fascinated to see what the second half of this is after once we get back from our intermission. In honor of Kiss Me Deadly, which we've talked about quite a lot this episode, what's something that you recently watched that's so good it deserves to be glowing in the suitcase? Ah, oh my. Um, all right. Uh, I won't linger long here, but quick hit in Tristan's um, Indian film recommendation corner. Uh, uh, 1950s entry, Shri 420. Uh, really loved it. Is about a, a 420 is a, a con man or a, a, a fraud. And it fell and and follows a chaplain-esque uh, tramp as he rises from rags to riches and, uh, and, and really like builds to this um, kind of zany rules of the game almost-esque um, uh, 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 punctuation of, of like class fighting and, um, and I thought it was really insightful, great music and, and excellent performances. Uh, um, uh, really like that. Also want to shout out uh, a film I, I, I don't know why I didn't get to by now, um, but I, I recently watched Scorsese's Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. I don't know why I've been putting that off or dismissing it, but it was, I, I have like a history of, of, except for Taxi Driver, almost always my favorite Scorsese films are, are his underappreciated ones. I love after Hours. I love King of Comedy. I love uh, I, I love Hugo. Um, I mean, the real uh, sense, how do you feel about New York, New York? I have not seen New York, New York, but now I'm probably going to need to watch it. Uh, but, 
but Alice doesn't live here anymore is pretty great. Uh, and and I, I, it, it reminded me, obviously much earlier, but it, it had a lot of, I thought, ladybird vibes to it, um, huh. which I was not expecting. I have not um, seen Alice isn't here anymore yet, but it is on my it's a list, It's a great so. mother-son movie. Um, it's, it's fairly episodic, but the, the episodes work quite well. Um, I really liked it. The more I think about it, the more I like it. Cool. Well, I look forward to watching it myself. Uh, I also have two quick quick plugs. Uh, first up, Hitchcock's Rebecca. Great movie. Yeah. What do you know? I saw uh, I saw that on your list, and I was hoping you'd bring it up because uh, because it's like it's it might be my favorite Hitch, if not for Vertigo. But <laughs> it's not my favorite Hitch because it's like he really is tamping it down mostly. Um, like he's still, he's still having fun in it. And I think the the supporting characters, you can see a lot of his cattiness coming through. Um, and, and it's best moments are, are sort of a, a marriage of his full potential with a much more standard kind of movie. Um, like Olivier's monologue about what actually happened that night, like that, that is some real filmmaking there, but, um, Yes, I almost don't, as much as I think it's truly, like, fantastic cinema, I, I almost don't think of it as a Hitchcock movie, because it just doesn't feel like him as much it does. as It's so weird. Stuff. It's so weird that that's, like, the Hitchcock film that won Best Picture. Right, right, where I'm like, I, I'd much rather, like, that run of movies in the 50s and 60s, where I'm like, this is some real fun Hitchcock. Um, and then uh, Seven Beauties. Also, what do you know? Great movie. I mean, just from the, mo from the opening montage of uh, archival footage from world war ii set to that that uh, italian pop song i was like oh we're we're in it and uh that movie does not fuck around so um one of the most singular world war ii movies i've ever seen although my favorite parts were the uh the first act of him being in, in italy and being an idiot was, was great <laughs> it's been a long while since i've seen that but that's that a really good movie All right um are good picks thank you yeah I'm, I'm starting to like pick stuff back up uh um so i yes yeah, so you uh i i did want to i meant to talk about this earlier uh are you gonna watch philibus um, it feels very yeah. much up your alley yeah I'm, I'm i'm obviously going to watch i that yeah like that's, that's like that is i don't care it's the, it's the most me thing i've seen in a while exactly yeah, i was like that, I when i review this i have to make sure Tristan knows about it because it's i uh, i I saw that. It is on my watch list. Um, I'm obviously going to watch that. Yeah, it's a you know it's a serial adventure escapist thing, very much of a piece with like less vampires and Judex and all that stuff. But um, and it's not the filmmaking isn't as good, but it is like much tighter than those movies. Whereas those are all you know eight ten hours whatever. This is a uh, hundred minutes. And, I like uh, um, to to tie it to this episode. Um, Fritz Lang's uh, Spiders is really good. I still need to watch that. That is also on my list. I, I, yeah. I'm a big fan of that one. But uh, but yeah, if you're somebody who is down to watch silent film serials, uh, there's a lot of fun to be had in Philbus. Um, and it's just like, uh, it's about a, a queer sp a sky pirate who pulls heists and tricks detectives. Like, it's just good, pulpy Fantastic. fun. Love it. Can't wait. <laughs> I'm that... that... I'm so glad that 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 came across your radar because I, I need it. I, I think you'll enjoy it. So, um, so yeah, that's that's what's right. in my box. Well done. Okay. Uh, well, that brings us to the midpoint, y'all. Thanks 
as always, for joining us on this excavation of the darkest, grittiest of genres. You can find us online at celluloiddirt.com and on Letterboxd under the handle Celluloid Dirt. We're heading into a mid-season break, but when you join us next time, we'll be moving straight past the art house era into some pulpy international fare. Cheap rills and lizard women await. Until then, may your viewings be riddled with scandal and desperation. Good night. Celluloid Dirt is a strange phantom production. Written and produced by Tristan Johnson and Fred Pelzer. Music by Kevin McLeod. His work can be found at incompetech.com. If you like the podcast, tell a friend.